You're listening to Four at the Back with Joe, Pete, Maz and Neil. From the Playboys and Provocateurs to Tiki Taka to Gagan Pressing, we'll be looking at some of our favourite cult sides and players from down the years. Shaky on the facts but heady with nostalgia, this is the football podcast you've been waiting for. So finish up your pre-match stretches and go with Four at the Back. an absolute shit show normally we do a bit of a, a sort of a planned intro to these uh, these episodes but really all there is to say european super league discuss i mean we've all had our sort of opinions over the last week or so and the, the dust is still settling to some extent on the news that broke at the, at the start of the week that 12 european teams had organized a breakaway European Super League to replace their involvement with the with the Champions League. Unsurprisingly, it went down particularly poorly with fans, with players, with managers, with pretty much every single stakeholder outside of the, the club owners who had uh, secretly arranged it. We're all here tonight, so Maz, Neil and Pete are all with me. Boys, what was your initial reaction on hearing the, the, the plans for the European Super League? We'll start with Neil. <laughs> uh, like, it's, it's interesting. The, the rumours started to surface about sort of midday on Sunday. And I think my initial reaction was, oh, this this kind of always happens around the announcement of a Champions League format change. You know, traditionally, you know, clubs like Juventus and Real Madrid have lobbied quite hard for a bigger share of the prize money for a kind of, um, escape hatch if they happen to have a crap season as Juve have had this this season weirdly enough and it usually kind of you know UEFA will offer some concessions and it will kind of go away and of course the concession this time had been that they were going to go to this ridiculous Swiss model which we may talk about later on so it was one of those things the, the rumours started to gather pace and they started to actually look quite quite convincing you know at that point you know, the names of the club started to come out, including the name of my club. And at that point, it was just a kind of sense of complete disgust and embarrassment, I think. And I think the, probably the worst thing about it was they finally dropped the press release at like 11 p.m. UK, timing it, hoping to have everybody going to bed in England to get off and work, you know, work on Monday morning. And if that doesn't if that doesn't tell you that actually this wasn't aimed at a UK market and it was aimed at a an overseas market, you know, who they I imagine think that the concept of a Super League would appeal to a lot more then you know, I think, you know, the, even the graphics were like insultingly amateurish and all the clubs started to, to send out statements saying, you know, we are founder members of the European Super League. And at that point, I just kind of turned my phone off and, and went to bed and, you know, sort of, it's it just isn't a, it isn't a very nice thing to have uh, your club being involved in a cartel mob trying to steal the game. Weirdly enough, Spurs were one of the, the kind of prime movers behind the negotiations that ended up creating the Premier League in 92 and it was a similar kind of motivation you know the 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 sad desperation of 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 my club is to is to be considered a member of the big six and it's always one of those things where you know is it us is it Everton you know it's that sort of elbowing in on the edges um, of the genuine big clubs in England and there's such a kind of paranoia about not being included with the big boys that it makes us get involved in these negotiations and, you know, this was right up Levy's street. And I think that's the thing I hate about it the most is that, like, it just had Levy's fingerprints all over it in terms of, like, yeah, we'll em- we'll embrace this chance to to be part of the elite, having built this giant stadium that we haven't managed to put any fans in for a year. So, yeah, very disappointed. And, you know, obviously, as 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 kind of 
these things tend to it ends up unraveling and uh, everyone's walking it back but it was a scary couple of days I think for everybody that loves the game and a pretty unprecedented thing I don't know if anybody really understood when the Premier League came about in 92 or when the Champions League began in 93 that we'd end up with that kind of a situation um so a very unsanitary week Matt as our resident Arsenal fan although I, I understand that term is being applied more and more loosely as the years go by as the as a fan of a team who are currently what are they, are they ninth or tenth in the Premier League? I ain't got a clue, mate. Could not tell you. <laughs> I mean, there was I think there was there was some anger directed at the likes of Liverpool and Manchester City, who are unquestionably sort of at the moment sort of the elite English teams in terms of their their football ability. Um, there was some there was a certain amount of mockery that um directed at uh, mostly Arsenal for considering them as part of that fo- European footballing elite, um, considering their performance over the last sort of four or five years or so. How did how did you feel about it? Well, yeah, you know, I'm I'm very cynical about where we are with football. And for me, this whole idea is is nothing more than the next step along the road where football's been going for the last 20, 30 years. And I was like, OK, yeah, so <laughs> sounds about right to me. You know, it, it, the idea of a European Super League is by no means a new thing. You know, back in the 90s, this was uh, something that was talked about and and there. And, you know, I have no love for UEFA. I have no love for the Premier League. I have no big love for, for the Champions League format. You know, it, it's... I, I understand it. Uh, I, I don't know if it's being an Arsenal fan that's there. If it's my age, you know, as someone in their early 40s. God, I hate saying that. It, it It's weird. So, you know, like for, for, for me and Neil, it's we, we were growing up watching kind of like the old game. But, you know, when we were old enough to really start to, you know, understand more of the polit- politics side of things, you know, that is the point where the Premier League is coming in and we've switched from the old European Cup to the Champions League uh, format. So we kind of know the game. We kind of know the game before then, but we've grown with the game in the new era. <sighs> to put it bluntly, but I, what's basically happened here is, you know, the European Super League has, has tried to fuck the fans raw and hard and we've resisted but you know the premier league and sky and you know bt sport now on top of it how many more subscriptions do you need uh you know and and the new champions league format you know it's over the course of the last 30 years they've been uh you know gently uh with a bit of foreplay here and there and slower over time uh been doing the exact same thing to the point where i think a lot of fans today, uh, and this is understandable, you know, if you're 20, you, you've got no idea about what was going on. You know, not, not, this is not saying they don't know their history or anything like that, but they, they've not grown up. You know, they've never been in a place where they've seen uh, top flight football on, on free TV. You know, we're at a point now where there'll be a lot of uh, people that have not even seen European football on free TV. So, you know... We've been conditioned to be moving towards this this thing, you know. Uh, we, we've had Roy Keane talking about um, football going towards people who are going to sit there and eat their prawn sandwiches, you know, two decades ago plus. And my view on it is I'm surprised it's taken so long. That that was pretty much my first reaction. Without granted, without going in and looking at all the details in there, but it, it my my initial reaction was, oh, finally. Hey, do you think that there's there's sort of some merit to the proposals, and it was more the way that it was that it was sold to everybody, the the way that the news broke, the fact that no attempts were made to make it look anything other than sort of a grab for cash and a grab for power. Do you think that there might have been something in it had they gone about it a different way? Or was it just a smokescreen to get the uh, the new Champions League proposals through without any fuss? I I hate to disappoint. I don't think it's either of those things. I think it was exactly what they were trying to do. 
And I think it's an idea entirely without merit as well, or at least without sporting merit. I can see the business sense of the engagement for those teams to a T because it is effectively establishing a model of football for those clubs that has no downside. But for a, a fan, for anyone who supports another team, uh, yeah, for fans of that those clubs as well, yeah, I don't really see that there's any sporting merit in it. I mean, it's effectively nothing less than making all of their domestic leagues second-tier competitions. And, yeah, I mean, it's, just, it's a license to print money for those those teams. But it's it's worth remembering that, you know, Mass is right to a large degree in that football has been trending in this direction for a long time. And it's attracted a lot of people who are in football clubs to, to make a buck. I think the reason that we saw people highlight Man City and Chelsea as the clubs that were most likely to break from the group when the pressure started to come on them is not because Abramovich and Man City are wonderful people with the, you know, the, the love of the game at heart, but their motives at the football clubs are different to the other teams. The other big American owners run their clubs as businesses. You know, you look at how much money the Glazers have taken out of Man United. They're businessmen, first and foremost, and sports clubs are assets to them. Abramovich, you know, Chelsea is Roman Abramovich's plaything. You know, he doesn't actually care how much money he loses. He's having a good time. There's a slightly different thing at work there. And that's no better for the game, truth be told. But that's it's different. And that's why there was a, you know, a crack that quickly developed once the pressure started to come on, because the interests of those owners were not the same. But if you're looking at it from a purely business perspective, I can see exactly what they were trying to do. And, it's, and yeah, I think if they could have got that through, they could have stitched that up to the point where they controlled most of the money in the European game in a league that they could never be relegated from well it makes all the sense in the world for them to try it it's just a shame that everybody else gets shafted in the process and I think you know the the thing that was particularly unpleasant about it was that you you could understand right American sports owners right Fenway Sports Group who own the Red Sox and Stan Kroenke owns the uh, the LA Rams you know so it's it's like they do play in closed shop environments but the thing about american sports and closed shop leagues is that there are so many checks and balances in place to make sure that it's an even playing field there's the draft there's free agency if you are the worst team in the league it's very possible that you will get better very quickly because you were the worst team in the league and you've got better draft picks you might have more cap space to to sign free agents and what they were proposing with the European Super League was a league where there was the, the no relegation of a closed uh, league, but also no kind of sense that there would be an evening of the playing field through anything like they have in American sports. So essentially, if you're like, if you're Man City, for example, and I know, you know, they, they were the first, you know, one, among the first to pull out. But if you're Man City, and you've got unlimited reserves of cash and you're also in this league that generates you, you know, even more cash then your team is still going to be way better than AC Milan or Arsenal in that league because you're starting from a higher base. And so all of football's inequalities, which has already been a problem in the last sort of 30 years, the rich clubs have got richer and the the clubs that used to compete through, you know, good management like your Nottingham Forests have, have fallen by the wayside. You know, and I know other teams like Leicester have, have, have replaced the kind of things that Forrest used to do. But it's a good example of how the money in the game has led to, you know, I, I think somebody said, I think it was um, Steve Parrish, uh, Crystal Palace's chairman, said, you know, there was a game in like 1994 between Palace and Chelsea where there were 14,000 fans in the ground. So before the money came into Chelsea and, you know, that that would be unheard of nowadays. But, you know, Chelsea have become, as Pete says, like this this monolith because of the amount of money that Abramovich has has ploughed into it. And if you then put them in a league environment where they have no threats, then, you know, it's just it's not sport anymore. It just becomes, you know, again, as I saw a journalist say, like it's it's like you could paraphrase that live 1984, like imagine Barcelona playing Real Madrid forever. Classicos aren't interesting if they happen every two weeks. You know, it's like it's like anything yeah. else with sports, isn't it? Like it's only interesting when those big games mean something. Uh, when you flip this around, you know, you, you look there, you looked at um, at City and how how they play, and Abramovich is a uh, Chelsea's plaything. You'll throw money at it. 
wanting to win this thing, you know, the pressure that comes under teams like Real Madrid and and, and Barcelona to to win this thing. My God, I, I don't, I can't even begin to think how Kroenke would would be with this. A lot of my distaste, uh, my falling apart from Arsenal over the years, has been this, you know, this whole idea that fourth is a trophy. This whole idea that it's moving to business. And, you know, us being in that league, he'd never sign anyone again. Yeah. You know, well, then, yeah. yeah I mean, that's, we'd that's stay the in the because... Premier League, we'd probably get relegated, and he won't care because he'll just be raking in that money every season. And we've got a big enough fan base in that it'll probably keep going, and people will come out to see us play bloody Barcelona or Real or Juventus or whoever every week. And, you know, we'd be in this really. I, I I can't even begin to think what kind of strange status quo we we'd end up in there. We we yeah. finish bottom every year, even yeah. with Spurs in there, we'd finish bottom every year. And you still, still get a billion quid of TV rights every year for the program. Well, yeah, exactly. It, it's like that constant loop of that um of of, of the noughties where where Wenger just you know finished fourth in the league, you know qualify for the Champions League, get knocked out by by a Munich, and repeat every year. We should also say that, that, you know, this is, you know, this is uh, something which has which has come about in, in such a way that it's just nakedly exposed like that kind of greed, that kind of we do not care about what happens on the pitch as long as the bottom line is looked after. And, and it's it's kind of exposed that quite brutally. And I think it's quite significant that PSG have no interest in this because like City and Chelsea, they are essentially a PR project. And what do you not do if you're a PR project? You don't walk into a European Super League, which is a PR disaster. I mean, that was the the other point I was going to make, is it's it's put these financial pressures on these elite clubs front and centre of, of our attention. It, it's no real secret that teams like Inter Milan and Barcelona and AC Milan and to, to a large extent Manchester United have been struggling to maintain a positive cash flow. I mean, you know, United problem is mainly due down to the owners. Barcelona's problem is mainly down to the fact they want to keep Lionel Messi. And perhaps this deal gave them a little bit of hope that they could keep hold of Messi for a little bit longer. Inter and AC Milan seem to have run into some fairly serious ownership problems. And so they needed this deal because their current leagues are not financially sustainable for them. And f- fine, the, the reason, you know, the, in the, uh, the the apology videos and statements that came out in the in the day, the hours and days after the English teams pulled out, um, there seemed to be a real fear of being left behind. Um, whether or not some of them those teams deserve to be in that conversation anyways is another debate altogether they wanted to have their cake and eat it i think that's that's the thing that drives me mad is like if you okay if you want to withdraw from the premier league and set up your own crap super league you know i'm almost inclined to withdraw from the premier yeah i'm almost inclined to say if that was what they wanted if that was the proposal you'll all withdraw from your domestic leagues and you'll all go off and play in this boring league by yourselves all right, fuck off and I'll go and support Brentford or something. But it was the fact that they had the the nerve to say, oh, no, we're going to stay in our domestic leagues. It's just that we're going to corner the market on Europe and make that our own thing because we don't think it's fair that Leicester City can qualify for the Champions League or West Ham can qualify for the Champions League or Atalanta can qualify for the Champions League. Like, that is is what really exposed like the towering arrogance like as if any any of the other Premier League clubs would have stood for that that showed a breathtaking naivety really if, if you're you know everyone's in it to for success and to make money and I suppose that the, the model of the Champions League and the Premier League and the way that TV rights are, are so central to everybody's success um, it, it's a problem in itself but if if you're making business decisions based on income that you're going to get that isn't guaranteed unless you finish a certain place in the league then you've got a problem oh Leeds. This, is, <laughs> this is this is exactly what happened to Leeds at the, at the turn of the century they bet everything on making the making the champions league 
and it didn't come off and they ended up in in oblivion for the best part of two decades and the difference the difference between what happened to Leeds then and what's happening now is this is what happens when it comes to clubs that people will keep lending money to because they were so big that they were kind of thought too big to fail and they would always come good. But they've football's been crazy for such a long time now that even clubs that are effectively backed by the state can't survive if they play the way that these clubs have been. Yeah, I mean, Real Madrid is like if, if you look. There's all these sort of secret documents that have come out, like how much money the Spanish government have given Real Madrid down the years. It's absolutely bonkers. But, you know, both Real Madrid and Barca, you know, they've got these iconic stadiums that are falling apart. So a large amount of what they've been spending has been on the renovations to the Bernabeu and, you know, and the new Camp. Like that's what they're spending a load of the money on. Um, and so essentially like Barca and Real are not in a dissimilar situation to to what Arsenal were in post-2006 or kind of maybe what Spurs are in now um, in that, you you know, you've got these this sort of stadium problem that you have to kind of square. But the problem is, is that the rest of the La Liga seem to try quite hard to not want to win, even when even when those two clubs have a bad season. So, you know, like Atletico were 12 points clear at one point and now Real Madrid are hauling them in. So it's kind of almost like uh, despite how dysfunctional they are, they keep, you know, they keep succeeding and it almost encourages the, the mismanagement to continue. They need to fail in order for this to stop, almost. Uh, yeah, but, you know, how badly can they fail? And that's the thing, you know, I, I think the pressure as <laughs> well. Just Arsenal fan. Well, you know, we're, 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 not, we're not Real Madrid or, or Barcelona, to, you know. Well, the po- but the point is, is that Stan Kroenke thinks that Arsenal should be in that conversation. Uh, he should, and um, when you look at a lot, a lot of the parameters, he's probably right. This isn't something that's come up overnight. This this would have been something for that came on when Arsenal were in the Champions League every single season. I, I, I'll I'll defend the position of my club a long way. You know how many consecutive seasons in Europe have we been you know we we are one of the bigger clubs in Europe we are one of the biggest clubs in 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 England and yet we've had two three pretty bad seasons by 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 our own uh, standards however you know those those pretty bad seasons we're, we're the current FA Cup holders you know we're in the last four in the Europa League right now you know and this is us at our as bad as it's been for for 20 30 years you know, we're a club that uh, have got a high profile, but we're not that very top. We're, we're that second tier level of team. Granted, going through a bit of a bad spell at the moment, but, you know, we're a team with, we've got the pedigree, we've got the history. We're not, you know, Johnny come lately's with with a huge casting injection while we're here. We, we've constantly won trophies um, in the country over the last, uh, you know, uh, 100 years. So, we're there or thereabouts. We're, we're not a Real Madrid, you know. When when you look at the history of of, of English football, you know, we're, we're not Liverpool. We're not United, but they're probably the third, aren't they? We're, we're, we're yeah, third, definitely. yeah, in definitely. history. Right now, we're not. Don't get me wrong. Chelsea and City are up there now, and and it's there. But you know, historically, we're there or thereabouts. You know, but we've the, not the... we've not fallen away to any great deal at any, any point, and. You know, to be fair, over the years, we have been that club that does fall away at mid-table for a few years and then come back again. It's worth remembering, because I think Maz is right in all he's saying here. It's worth remembering as well that this isn't a competition, it's a commercial venture. And the big six, in commercial terms, is not the same as the best six teams in the country. And this is one of the things I think that was quite odd when people started, because Arsenal and Spurs were the two that really got the brunt of the ridicule when this came up. And I think what people miss is that, again, it's not... First, it's not the best six teams in the country. It's the big six. And the second is that a couple of years of underperformance doesn't actually suddenly do a massive amount to change the size of, of clubs. But big clubs stay big clubs, actually, if they can underperform for several years. You actually have to fall through divisions and spend a long time out of the top flight before your big club status starts to become diminished. And the evidence of that is you how many years out of the top flight were Leeds where all those small clubs that had come through from leagues below still went to Elland Road with us. This is Leeds. We've really got to give them a beasting. So Arsenal would have a long, long time before 
they're going to be caught up by a lot of teams that have been outperforming them recently and they are probably the third best supported club in England and that means they are probably one of the top 10 12 supported clubs in the world and yeah of course they're going to warrant a place in in some sort of super league like this Spurs are, are only slightly off that I mean even when Spurs were crap you were always meeting Spurs fans everywhere so that's I think, just, you know, I think, you know, that people forget sometimes with Spurs that, you know, eight FA Cups, massive cup tradition under Pochettino, regular Champions League football, Champions League final not that long ago. So it wasn't that long ago that, that, that we were genuinely challenging for the title along with along with Liverpool and City. So it's it's um yeah, that, that I, I felt like that. it was I almost didn't want that ridicule to happen because I wanted to be angry at my club. I wanted to be angry and then I found myself defending it because people were making sort of making it about who had been chosen rather than the fact that all 12 clubs had done something terribly, terribly, yeah. terribly wrong. That is to like, totally miss the point, isn't it? To yeah. say, you're not a big okay. club. You're not. You're, you shouldn't you, be in there. Well, you can pick yeah. anyone. You can pick anyone you like to be in. Don't if matter who's in there. They shouldn't be in there. You if know. this had okay. happened in 1997, then the Newcastle would have been picked, no doubt about it. You know, Blackburn and it, would, have been, would have been picked. You know, and, but, and but they wouldn't the, have been out of place either. Is is the other point to add? No, into absolutely, that. but it's it's like. But I mean, know, that's that's kind of the whole point of it, isn't it? It's like, well, hold on, if you're in there forever, what about when the next? You know, I, th- yeah, I think you know. I think what a lot of what a lot of people are getting at is who gets to choose which arbitrary period of history you take the big club thing from like how who, who decides who are the 12 biggest teams in europe um and there's obviously there's some notable emissions from like if well i if man, if man city are in there who have won no champions leagues where are i at where are porto what, yeah you know, absolutely these teams have got history in it. i mean uh, this is this is the flaw of the of the champions league though as well is that under the old european cup porto won as as recently as the uh, as the late 1980s you know, Benfica won as recently as the late 1980s. You know, uh, Marseille uh, won in the early 90s. You know, you're talking about, uh, you know, Ajax were in a Champions League final, you know, in, in 95. And they were, you well, know, in the semi-final with Spurs. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> cruising. Like, against us, I always turned that game off at half-time. Thank goodness I didn't. But, but yeah, it's, it's, it's like those, those clubs in a, you know, Celtic, right? In a straight knockout European Cup, a Celtic or a Rangers is a real threat. And that is the problem with the Champions League, is that you're asking a club with the pedigree of Ajax to go through pre-qualifiers to make it to the group stage. That's a disgrace. You you turn that on its head as well. Can can you imagine, you you know, a, a team like Ajax, a set up like Ajax, gets guaranteed top 12 in Europe every year with that money that it generates... You on know, the other hand, if they're, if they're good the enough, they'll, they'll make it through. Well, yeah, I mean, they, should, they shouldn't have to. They should go straight in. Like, well, or, like they, any team. If they finish sixth in the league, fine. If they finish top of their league, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's what I mean, though. That's, that's yeah. what you meant. Uh, European about, Cup model. Yeah, I'm talking about the Champions League, like here. Yeah. Like, like Ajax, Porto, Pauk in, in Greece. Like, these teams, like, they, they shouldn't have to go through a round of qualifying to make it into the Champions League draw proper. And that's what they have to do at the moment. And that's the big problem. Celtic or Rangers have to go through, I think, like three rounds of qualifying to make it. It's ridiculous. Like, it should just never happen. And, and, and you know, th- this is one of the big problems as well. And, you know, th- this is all part of what I was saying at the beginning, where, where football's been going this way. You call yourself the Champions League and, you know, this this is not uh, as much as I do like to, you know, it's Spurs and it's Liverpool. I do like to pick on them. But this isn't a dig at them. This is a dig at every, pretty much every single team. Because how many of those teams that win the Champions League are actually champions? L- Liverpool and, and Spurs had got to the final of the Champions League. Yeah, two teams from the same country. And neither of them won the title in decades. Well. And you'd, you'd also make the argument that actually those teams not be, not being involved in title races in those seasons makes it easier for them to win the Champions League because they're concentrating on it. Whereas Man I mean, City have been going to the Premier League every single well, season and, and, they, and they always 
Cock well, it that's, up. that's more because Pep does weird stuff in those semi-finals. I mean, but... There's that too, but, you've, you've, but, you've, but you see my point. It, it's easier. Yeah, you know, but I mean, you're, you know, if you're the... fourth in the in the league and there's no one else near you, you can just go right. I'm gonna I'm gonna rest Trent and I'm gonna rest um, I'm gonna rest Mo Salah this week for for our trip to West Brom because I need them fit to to face Barcelona next week. It's, but yeah. I, and that, that's where it is. And, you know, like I say, when when Neil and I were were, were watching this, it, it, it was the champions. It was the champions. And then, you know, it didn't happen overnight. It's not turned into a Super League overnight. Suddenly the second place teams yep. showed up and then, well, then the third and then the fourth. And then suddenly it's, you and know. And the fourth place teams in the big league are in a more advantageous position than the champions of Holland or the champions yeah. of Belgium or the champions of Portugal. And that is so not, that's so not on. And, you know, I think, I, I think back to the European cup final. I want to say it was, I want, I want to say it was 92, which was the Barcelona Sampdoria final. And it was just like the most brilliant game of football. And it was, you know, you think about the players on the pitch, like, like Viali and Mancini and Koeman and, it was that's that's what European football is to me. Like that, that you know those those teams that won their respective leagues has made it all the way to the final. And you might have got, you know, it's like any other cup competition. You might have got a difficult draw, or you might have got uh, some easy games along the way. But ultimately, that's that's what the cup is. You know, it's 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 knockout. Like anybody can beat anybody on a given day. And what the Champions League has done is allow teams like Real Madrid to be crap in the group stage, to wake up in March and, you know, and to kind of use their larger, superior squads to kind of shithouse their way to European honours. And it just, it's not right. If you're, if you have a bad game and get like, for example, Madrid got battered by uh, Gladbach in the group stage this year. If you Shakhtar Donetsk with, with, who had like three first team players, yeah, the rest of their old team, or the, yeah, their old team had COVID. Like, yeah. you know, that 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 should be it for them, right? You lost a yeah, Shakhtar. See ya. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, this Swiss thing is not going to make make it better. We should say. I no, mean, I was talking to some, I was talking to can some you, people earlier in the yeah, week. Can, we was yeah, go on. Can you just explain this Swiss thing? Because I'm not 100 percent sure what you mean. But there, there may be people who are listening who aren't completely sure. What right, I only know about so, this through like esports. So basically, you would play people with the same record. So if you win, you're one and zero, and you'd play somebody else that was one and zero, and then you'll be two and zero, and you'll play someone else that's two and zero, and that will keep going until somebody is the top seed. So you'll have like if there are sixty four teams in, you know, you'll have one team that ends up being seed number one and one team that's seed sixty four. And I think what they want is the teams that are in the twenties will play off against each other to make it into the last sixteen. Right, I'm lost already. There's a couple of practical things that I think we can talk about that makes this a, a lot more relevant. One is it's going to be expanded quite dramatically, so you will play ten. I think it's ten games against ten different opponents, so it might be yeah. the, the getting, it might be getting rid of the home and away um, of the old group stage. So you'll have ten group games rather than six. It'll be thirty six teams, and this is the bit that has some parallels with the ESLs, and the bit that we can kind of say is is definitely a negative. Is they are planning to have a two clubs let in on their historical records so if you've got a side that just misses out on the champions league through comp- competitive means you can still find a back door into the champions league and ironically that would currently be arsenal and spurs brilliant <laughs> <laughs> so if, it's, if, if if that model had been applied for 21 22 the two teams that would make it on coefficient are Arsenal and Spurs. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. There's a few a things. To, bias. <laughs> there's a few things to kind of talk about around this as well. So we'll, we'll sort of move on because I think we probably could talk about the the, the merits or lack thereof um, for the next four hours if, if we wanted to. But um, obviously, it, it fell apart very quickly and. There was no real face-to-face time with any of the owners who were involved until um, a couple of the, the apologies started coming out. What did you make the, um, some of these clubs basically throwing their, their players and managers to the wolves to face it? I mean, they must have known it would have gone down badly. They must have done. Like, there's no way that 
they'll have made all these plans and and come up with a bloody logo and a format and not thought to them how are people going to react to it like they, they'll have thought of that and they'll have just gone you know what it's, it's a risk worth taking I, I, I think they probably misjudged just how yep. yeah yeah that's it yeah i think that's, that's true yeah i think that's true but obviously they they didn't feel it was it was going to be that big a deal that you know they wouldn't have to say something before say jürgen klopp had to go on camera and talk to the media about they clearly it rushed it out it was a fairly important league game against Leeds, and you know and, and Leeds did their their shithouse thing with the t-shirts and it, it ups, put them in the changing room for liverpool and that's obviously upset klopp as well you know they're, they're asking players like um James Milner has been asked on live TV what he thinks of it, and he's told them straight. Mm. And and for a lot of people, that that was the turning point. That was where it started to unravel, where you know players weren't going to be afraid of saying, actually, this is bullshit. Mm. Let's we, we're not having it. Well, I, I think what, I think what they uh, he did. Yeah, just I'll let yeah, you go in a sec because I just want to tell on what Joe was saying. I think they expected the backlash. I don't think they expected the internal backlash to quite the degree that they got it from their own players, management and and fans. I think they kind of expected fans of those clubs to be much more inclined to go, well, yeah, this is actually quite good for us as a club. And actually most fans took the the interests of the, of the wider game. Sorry, Neil. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. I think I think you're, you're, you're spot on. I think what they what the owners misunderstood was the fact that actually the whole point of the European game is that whatever club you support, whether it is a National League One club or, you know, or if it's Man United, your experience is based on your knowledge of where you sit in the football pyramid and, 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 and like how your club relates to all of the other clubs. And that is, you know, unique to European association football. And I think I, I was talking to... 11 year old kids that I, I teach at school about this and they had that ingrained knowledge of the history of the game to know why this was a bad thing you know I was talking to a year seven Chelsea fan that thought it was a terrible idea so they they badly I think misjudged the fact that they thought fans of big clubs were like yay we'll play more big clubs and you know you saw the the banners the Chelsea fans had outside the outside Stamford Bridge, we want our cold Tuesday nights in Stoke. Yeah. Says it I, all. I, I can't, you know, I'm not going to speak for anyone. And I, I, I hated when, when, when Chelsea uh, won the Champions League. I almost shit myself at the thought of Spurs winning the Champions League a couple of years ago. Villa have got that star on their, <laughs> on, on their shirt that, that they can wear. And, and we don't. Yet, still, I go into every season, the thing that I want more than anything else is to win the title. You know, not the Champions League, not the European Cup. I want to win the title, first and foremost, every season. I'll take that every time. If we won 10 in a row, then it might be, oh, Champions League could be nice instead of that then now. But, you know, that's still the most important thing to me. That is the most important thing. That is what you're going out there fighting for week in, week out as a football player. 38 games... That's what you're trying to win. And that's first and foremost. And I, I go back to that. Like I say, I, I'm in that I'm in that zone where I, I, I kind of think it's a bit of a jip if you win the Champions League and you've not qualified as a Champions, let alone, you know, not even finishing in the top four and then suddenly finding yourself battling for a Super League. I mean, we were joking um, earlier in the week about, you know, expunging the records of those uh, Premier League records of those teams who had decided to join the European Super League. And it turned out that Newcastle would have won six Premier Leagues if those teams were taken out of it. Um, and it was, you know, it was, oh, yeah, we, we, we were up there for a little bit. And then I realised, well, if my team had won the Premier League, knowing that there were six teams who considered themselves bigger clubs, you'd think, well, I haven't really, what have we actually won? Whereas mm. I think if you win the Premier League now, you know it's because that they're the best team in the country. That's it, isn't and I it? Think that, that's, I think that's why it resonated so strongly with every fan of the game, whether it's, whether you're a Manchester United fan, whether you're a Chelsea fan, whether you're a, you know, you're a Stockport County fan or a Nottingham Forest fan or anyone who, you know, dreams of one day watching their team 
lift the Premier League, lift, be confirmed as the best team in the country. And, you know, some teams will get closer than others and some teams won't ever get close at all. Um, speaking as someone whose team went very close once, it would be, had we gone on to win it, and that season we'd have won it comfortably if United and Liverpool were nowhere near it, then knowing there were teams around us, and we, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't have even been invited to go and play against them until mm. the following year. And that, I think, is, is something that, that a lot of people uh, may, may have felt. How encouraged were, were you guys by the response to it? Did it kind of feel like it was like we, we put sort of all of our tribalism to one side and all of our differences that may have formed over football and rivalries to one side for, for the greater good of the game? Or yeah. how, what did that kind of generate a little bit of hope, maybe that? A little. Maybe. Yeah, very inspiring, I thought. Neville and Carragher, I thought, were absolutely brilliant. And they've been the best two analysts in the game for, you know, the last five or six years. But, you know, they were particularly good on this. Watching Gary Neville on Monday Night Football on the verge of tears, giving one of the most sort of eloquent, eloquent monologues on this that you could ever wish to hear. And, and hearing, you know, his pain at what Manchester United have become you know Carragher's disappointment that you know Liverpool was a a club which hold themselves to some pretty high values in terms of you know community and uh, and what that club means to that city and Mm. and you know the the disappointment in that club like tarnishing its image with something like that Um, and I, I think that played a big part you know can I just jump in quickly because I obviously live up here and uh, although they haven't always lived up to it, it's ditched very genuinely felt in the city. That's not something that they just tell themselves. It is actually a real part of Liverpool, the identity of the club. But it's also actually something shared by Evertonians, you know, Liverpool and Everton, both as clubs and as a city. This is something that they all feel very strongly. And it was um, despair actually out on the streets that this that their club was involved in it and I know it's the same sort of thing with with Manchester United fans you know this is a club formed out of railway workers in the 19th century you know this is an industrial heartland working class club that is now run this way and I got much the same sense that that was just shocking for people I also liked the fact that um, Jamie Carragher in particular kind of used it as an opportunity to shine a light on all of the bits about football that have got a bit ugly he, he brought up the formation of the Premier League and the role that the broadcasting companies play in driving this inequality between you know, the teams at the very top and the teams at the very bottom. And he asked the question, like, are, we, are we all hypocrites? Sorry, uh, was... sorry, Joe, could I just jump in? Because just as we're recording, I've seen something go up here. Um, the Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust has put out a statement calling for the immediate resignation of the executive board of Tottenham as a result of what's happened over the last week. I mean, I know it's not going to happen, but I mean, we are still seeing the fallout of the eruptions several days later, and I think we probably will be for some time yet. I mean, I have seen that that Joe Lewis is one of the owners that's potentially considering selling up. I mean, I, apparently Spurs were close to selling a 50% stake last year and pulled out of the deal because Levy didn't want to lose control. You know, he wanted to re- retain the casting vote, which is, you know... He- because he knew the fucking Super League was coming. That's fucking why. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So it's it's like I think I think you know there was talk in, oh, in the week. Obviously, Woodward's gone from United, and there's talk that perhaps the Glazers might try and sell up now. They've now they've not got their own way. Was... Yeah, the the fallout will will continue um, for a while. But the problem with something like United is who the hell can afford to buy that club? The Glazers had to borrow <laughs> like literally its only oil oil barons that can afford to buy that club because it is going to be billions to buy mm. Manchester a very United funny meme going around um, a couple of weeks ago I think he was a bit sick of Newcastle fans kind of complaining about the ownership of, of Mike Ashley and Rio Ferdinand said I can't remember if it was on Twitter or if it was on BT Sport why did why don't, why don't they just get a load together and uh, band together? And, buy, and uh, so Newcastle Twitter has been sort of just waiting for Rio Ferdinand to say Glazers out um, <laughs> and to come back in with that. I mean, it, it, it's certainly something it's, it's, it's going to shake things up, isn't it? I think it's, it's, it's forced a lot of issues very, all of a sudden very quickly. There's obviously the, 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 the Champions League proposals 
just seem to have slipped under the radar. There's sort of arbitration uh, going on between certainly at least one Premier League club and the Premier League pertaining to ownership. And there's suddenly there's, there's an awful lot of questions around ownership of Premier League teams. Uh, something that's been suggested a lot is to, to, to adopt the German model, which is the sort of the 50 plus one rule, which basically gives club owners considerably less power in terms of what they can do with their football clubs. I mean, there's um, also in Germany fairly strict rules about how much private investment can go in yeah. as well. So the clubs have to be self-sustaining. Like that, it's not like so. For example, there are there are ways around it because obviously, like Leverkusen are owned by the pharmaceutical company Bayer, and um, Leipzig are obviously owned by Red Bull. Although they have to kind of do it via a kind of umbrella corporation because you're not actually even allowed to be kind of named after the commercial enterprise by their you know rasen ball sports rather than red bull um <laughs> so it's it's it it's a bit more complicated than just 50 plus one there's some pretty strict rules about private investments in clubs in germany as well so it, it would take an awful lot of retconning to get english football there but i think one thing we haven't spoken about is how actually project big picture when that was proposed was also john w henry's idea you know the uh the the, the chairman of um fenway sports group and you know that was proposing that all right we'll give loads of money down the pyramid but the top six or the big six have got all voting rights for the premier league and it's like that was just as naked a power grab to say all right, we will, um, you know, the Premier League will pay for all these EFL clubs to keep existing as long as you put all the power in the hands of, you know, Liverpool, United, City, Chelsea, Spurs and Arsenal. And, and again, that's that's just as bad. You know, if you, there's already been inequitable distribution of TV money. So the big six get more TV money because, you know, they probably obviously have more games on TV and all the rest of it. But if you look at leagues like the NFL, the reason they're successful is because they revenue share absolutely everything. They even revenue share jersey sales. When the Football League began in the 19th century, right up until right up until the early 80s, I think, gate receipts for league football games were shared. And of course, you know, now if you're Man United, you sell out Old Trafford compared to Bournemouth selling out, you know, the vitality, there's a massive difference in the amount of income that you're getting. Whereas when they were sharing ground receipts, obviously that means that Bournemouth are doing a bit better. I mean, I've I've done quite a lot of um, uh, research on things like MLS recently. And a number of people have sort of brought up Major League Soccer as a kind of, you know, a, a model that might, maybe sort of European leagues could copy in terms of the salary. And they're using it because it's a, it's a, it is a closed shop. And the difference with it with it is, is that it's been a closed shop since day one. Like there have been no teams who have thought, yeah, well, one day we'll be a major league soccer team. We can go all the way to the top. Like it's always been a franchise-based uh, team. And as you say, that, that culture of um, salary caps and revenue sharing and everything like that, it's something that, it's something that's ingrained into American sporting culture. And it does allow for that equity that these owners don't want. The other thing is about salary caps. I mean, anybody who follows rugby union will will <laughs> uh, be well aware of the, the the evils that salary cap can inspire. And it will be teams like you know who can afford the, the best lawyers and things like that who will find the loopholes. Well, that's financial fair play as well, isn't it? Well, yeah, and and that's obviously been called into question as well. And there are people who want it abolished. There are people who who feel it's done more harm than good. I think the bottom line is, and we're, we're nowhere near the answer uh, to, to this particular conundrum, but finances in football are killing the game. They're absolutely killing it. Um, and I think this week we've just been reminded of how close we are to to finances killing the game if we're not careful about it. Mm. 
Yeah, looked at in a certain way, finance is definitely the thing. I mean, it almost put my own club out of business a couple of years ago. You know, we almost did a Leeds, but with far greater consequences. I think Villa were two or three days, it may even been hours away from being wound up when the, the, the new owners came in and rescued us. And it was a proper, proper rescue deal. And, you know, I remember making a little kind of deal. I'm not a religious man, so it wasn't with God so much as with the universe or whatever. You know, Just a kind of quiet deal. I don't care if we go down two more leagues or whatever. Just give me my club to cheer for on a Saturday. And this is even years after the peak of my kind of fandom, because I'm in a similar boat to Maz, really. You know, this this stuff is very much in the rearview mirror for me on, on the whole. But I still had that moment where it was like, I don't care where we end up playing, just let them survive. And finances have dominated this at the expense of competition and i think that's what we find kind of unforgivable in certainly in english football because some of these other leagues are very top heavy you know they have two or three teams at the very top and they will be pretty much guaranteed champions league football regardless but they also don't really have a a lengthy pyramid so you'll hit semi-professional football as much quicker than you will in England. And what that's done in practice is it's meant that we don't actually have a big six, really. We've got two or three clubs right at the very top. And then we've got two or three with big histories who have come back strong in recent years. And that kind of gives you your six or seven top sides. But then actually you've got a load of sides that have been in and around the top two divisions and have had this times in the in the the spotlight in the last 20 or 30 years pretty consistently and all of a sudden you're starting to talk more teams than you could even get into the premier league let alone into you know some sort of european super league you know we have 30 or 40 clubs that have a right to say they are big in the sense they are bigger than the other half of the football league and that's before you even think about the rest of the pyramid going down to the Isthmian league so that's one of the things that English football has done. And I know that that doesn't make them Real Madrid. And I know it doesn't make them Man United. But it's something about our game that you have to respect, I think. And fans won't actually put up with anything that takes too much away from that. And it's why the finances of lower league clubs does energize a lot of supporters. And it should energize us much more. And I suppose that's one of the things that when you asked the question a little while ago, is there any optimism? about the the shared reaction i think there is but this can't be an end point you know what we have to do now is start to think okay well what else can we get back because otherwise if we still allow teams to make these power grabs and if we still allow teams to spend whatever they want and make other clubs kind of spend to keep up money that they don't have and in these cases there's obviously barcelona that like are spending money they don't have anyway then we'll be back here again and if something like this does come to pass, I think they'd be surprised for how many people this is actually a bit of a deal breaker. Yeah. And not only that, I think, you know, there is a, a very real sense that what these six clubs didn't realise is that the rest of a league would happily wave them goodbye and say good riddance. Because, you know, where is what is the best the best football league in the whole of Europe is the championship. If you want excitement and unpredictability and not knowing who the hell is going to win it and who the hell is going to go down the whole season the championship is is what you want to be watching (laughs) and and like that's what the premier league should be like and the premier league is far too predictable and i know there are always like the odd there's the odd story nowadays where you'd be like okay leicester or okay you know west ham this season but on the whole the Premier League, there hasn't been really a title race worthy of the name in in, in, in quite a long time. And, Chelsea and United probably in ten years ago. You know, I mean I, I know that I know that, you know, when City had their hundred point season, Liverpool finished on ninety eight or something. You know, it was a very it was City were in the driving seat the whole of that season. I don't know if you could call it a title race. So it, it's it's like the Premier League needs to be much more competitive if, if anything and the, the money needs to be distributed evenly enough that a, a good manager with some smart team building can make a genuine shot at, at winning the league which is what happens in the championship and I think that's why that's why the kind of uh, and actually the Bundesliga 2 is, is very similar you know it's a it's a really exciting league and you know teams like Hamburg uh, big teams like Hamburg and and in the past like Werder Bremen have gone down there and had trouble because you, once you're in there it's tough to get out. 
So, yeah, I, I do think that there needs to be a conscious drive towards equality. It's what these big businessmen don't want, obviously. They want it to be safe Champions League football. But, you know, that isn't what the rest of the country wants. and It isn't what the rest of Europe wants. OK, I think this is one of those topics that we could probably talk about all night. I think, generally speaking, we, along with most of sort of the footballing community, are, are on are on the same sort of page with. I think you, we we come from a point of view. We 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 look back on this podcast. We we like sort of celebrating when when things were a bit simpler and a bit less sort of influenced by money, and it was it's more about the competition. And we uh, and we particularly like those stories that are about the competition. And so anything that puts that under threat is it can't be a good thing but I, I think it's been refreshing to see so many sometimes battling um sort of corners of the of the football community sort of come together and sort of say actually we don't want this 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 is an evil this this is something that we don't need in our game and it's i think it's made a lot of people think about what is actually important about football in this country it's shone a light on the 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 financial inequality that a lot of teams face I think it's, uh, you know, long term, I think it, it'll hopefully that more good will come of it than bad. In the sense now everybody's cards are on the table and the, the those sort of big sick teams can't sort of hide behind the mask of trying to do what's best for the for the footballing pyramid. No one will trust them with that anymore. The trust in those teams to to be the gatekeepers of the game in this country is gone. It's completely gone. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see how those teams attempt to rebuild that trust, how, how the sort of the, the, the leagues and, the, um, and even UEFA kind of restructure the game to try and overcome some of these inequalities, or even if they attempt to do so. But I think it's made a lot of people examine their relationship with football um, and particularly fans of those clubs who have, who have been involved in this, this power grab. So I, I think it's, it's a very very interesting couple of months um, ahead of us in the build-up to the Euros. Just to finish, one word answers, Maz and Neil, if this had gone ahead, do you still support your clubs? No. Yes. Okay. As much as I do now. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I, I, I was, uh, yeah, I was all ready to, to sort of start a three-way competition between Brentford, Norwich and Villa, so to who, I was, who I would support if this went ahead. I mean, I've been having that conversation for some time with myself, so you know, because guaranteed, if Mike Ashley had been asked, he'd have been in there. It would have, it would have become the Sports Direct trophy straight, straight off. He'd have been having a pie with Florentino Perez. The Florentino um, Perez special is going to be really interesting. I don't think we've got time to do it now. Uh, <laughs> go, go into Perez, but his role in all oh this is, is yeah. going to be an interesting episode that I think we should do. Oh, he's like he's like Seth Blatter, isn't he? If if you want to like a bit more of a sort of light-hearted look at football corruption, I really recommend go and listen to um, the uh, the sort of the Football Italia James Richardson podcasts because they do a number of them on these mad corrupt Italian owners, and they are absolutely hilarious. Like. Just it's just like make sure George Graham's bung handing out look particularly uh you know small scale compared to what they were up to. I mean corruption in Italian football is it's, it's a classic combination, isn't it? And and actually I, I read a little bit about the the new AC Milan owners um led by Paul Singer and uh, that that's a really shady thing that's that's been going on for quite some time. So um it's it's been really interesting. It's a real eye opening sort of week sort of reading up on all these things and they won't let the uh <laughs> they won't let the crown prince of saudi arabia own a football club in england probably for the best but you know i think we should probably leave it there chaps um unless anybody else has anything particularly uh pressing they'd like to that they'd like to say before we finish i only have one thing that i would add which is that i've kind of lived through something not completely unlike this which was because um, I don't speak with a Brummy accent, as you probably noticed. And the reason for that is I've moved around a lot and I got into rugby living in South Wales. So I was in Wales through the regionalization of Welsh rugby. And that was similar in one key respect in that it made the league that the team I played in a second tier competition. And 
in many ways that league's never been the same you know you win the league but as you were saying earlier on eh, you know this isn't what like winning the league in the 1990s because you know there are four regional sides playing in a league much better including your old rivals and it's just taken the a lot of the bite out of it and that's similar in that respect but it's different because that game needed that it couldn't survive economically. This is a game that clearly can survive. There's a hell of a lot of money in this game. And all it takes is doing things a little bit differently and not spending like there's no tomorrow. And it will work. And that just makes it even more unforgivable. And on that note, we'll leave it there. Um, thanks for listening. Hopefully that there is, you will be able to take some hope from, from the event of the last week or so. But yeah, it's, it's been interesting to hear your views on on uh, on all of this, gentlemen. And uh, I'm sure we'll be back together very soon to discuss something, hopefully a little less divisive. Until then, we've been four at the back. We'll see you next time. <laughs>